Sorry. For me, Joseph, this is the Tuesday of months. Okay. Uh, Tuesdays are the worst day of the week for me. They're just horrible. This. All right, here's my reasoning. Mondays, you still have a bit of a hangover from the weekend, right? So, so Mondays aren't great, but you're still reliving the weekend. And that gets you through, the, especially the first part of the Monday, right? Yep. Wednesdays aren't great, but at least you have the feeling that you're starting the downhill slide to the weekend. Thursday and Friday. I mean, Thursday is really Friday Eve, right? And then Friday is Friday. Friday, all day Friday, right? Yep. So even though you have to work, it's still Friday. So Tuesday is a no man's wasteland. It's just sitting out there. It's like <laughs> right there in the week. It's just a wasteland. It's like, what, what was the, 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 the movie? The, um, Teenage Wasteland? <laughs> <laughs> no, the Mel Gibson movie. The, uh, the one in the desert with the cars and the whole thing and the roads and the. All right, anyway. <laughs> Anyway, February is like that for me. In January, you know, you have the hangover from the December holidays, right? You had the new year, all that. March, it's starting to warm up. It's starting to feel more like spring. Then it's then it's April through December is great. You got spring, you got summer, you got fall and football. You got the holidays again. And then, bam, right back into February. I hate February. It's usually dark, and it's cold, and it's icy, and it's just terrible. It really is the worst. It is the worst ever. You know what? That's why the calendar people only gave it 28 days. Because they knew at that time that February was going to be so horrible that they were. this is going to be so horrible, we're only going to give you 28 days. We've got to get this over with as quickly as possible. Anyway, let me give you a proper welcome. This is the Driving You Crazy podcast. I am your host and driving friend, Jason Luber, the traffic guy. I am the overnight producer here at Denver 7, Joseph Peters. We really need to revisit the fact that I haven't seen any Mel Gibson movies, Jason. That's a real problem. It's the one where they're doing the, and they're in the car, and everybody's screaming at their podcast right now going, why can't you think of that, you dope? And my problem is you say Mel Gibson, I just default to pass of the Christ. I assume that's the only movie he ever made because I've never seen any other one. No, it's with the cars and the road and the wasteland. He's Australia, you know, in the cars and they're and and they're blowing them up. And uh, anyway, I, I'll, it'll come to me later on. Uh, all right. Anyway, Joseph, the Super Bowl is this weekend. I, I know you're beside yourself. I'm actually surprised you are not decked out in uh, Patriots gear right now. Uh, we're taping this on a Thursday. You got another 24 hours. Here, I'll be back. here is your time right now. I present you with this moment. To go ahead and, and spew your fandom. Um, All right, that'll be gonna... fine. Um, no, <laughs> no, sorry, no. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm a, I'll take a rain. I'll take a rain check till after the victory. No, no. Oh, saying. is that what it is? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm rooting for the Falcons. And here's why. Because I used to live in Atlanta. I, w- I finished out high school in Atlanta, up in Sandy Springs. I went to Georgia Southern. So uh, I have some Georgia-Atlanta roots. I love the varsity. In Atlanta, I mean, you can't go wrong with a frosted orange and some onion rings down from the varsity. So, okay, so I, I have to go for the Falcons. I'm sorry to hear that. Me too. Uh, and, and you know, and, and as a good Broncos fan, I cannot support the Patriots. In fairness, I feel the exact same way. I was rooting for Carolina in last year's Super Bowl. All right then. Well, if you want to go to the game in style, like I know you would, uh, Era Helicopters is offering a VIP helicopter transport service to big shots just like you, Joseph. For flying, if you're flying in for the game. Now, the service, they say, will originate from three Houston-area airports. Passengers fly to Wildcat Golf Club and then take a private car service the last couple of miles over to the hold stadium. On, hold on, hold on. If I'm paying for a helicopter, that better be landing on the helipad on top of the stadium or inside the stadium at the 50-yard line. I was thinking the same thing. Now, they say this is a one-of-a-kind service that will allow discerning 
Time-sensitive VIP clientele to avoid traffic congestion and delays on the day of the big game. Except for the last couple of miles to the stadium, of course. Right. Uh, in the press release, it said, What better way to bypass the congestion on the roadways than to take a helicopter flight? As an added bonus, customers can wave to motorists as they fly by, unquote. What a bunch of doofuses waving <laughs> up the helicopter. Now, they don't include the cost of the service, but it's probably more than six months of my paycheck. I can only imagine. Is that confirmed? or I have no idea. <laughs> In the duh new re- duh, in the duh news reports of the week that I uh, got in my inbox, here's a news report that says if you drive aggressively, you use more fuel. R- really? Okay. Uh, the new report. This is from the insurance company Direct Line in England. They use data collected from those little things, those little things they plug into your car, like the snapshot, right? Yeah. From progressive. And, and they they say most aggressive drivers spend sixty seven percent more on fuel, which is about seven hundred bucks a year in additional fuel costs. Sixty-seven uh, percent, seven hundred bucks wow. on average. If you're if you're always racing it, but you know what? Sometimes it's fun to race it right off the line. I mean, it, that wouldn't help you if you're doing a Pittsburgh left, but um, or somebody else okay. is doing the Pittsburgh left. The we'll most, talk about Pittsburgh lefts in another time. The most aggressive. I thought it was on average. The most aggressive makes. Yes, sense. you're talking about the Fast and the Furious type guys. Sure. Right? Yeah. Right. Okay, I could buy that. All right. So w- one of the things I love to do is take a road trip. Okay, love road trips. It's a great American pastime, the summer road trip, right? Uh, just think National Lampoon's family vacation without dead Edna riding on the roof. <laughs> now, I hope my girls love taking road trips as much uh, as I do. The long one so far we took was uh, with the family to Hill City, South Dakota. We went for a wedding. We went to see Mount Rushmore because Mount Rushmore, it isn't the kind of place where it's, oh, look at that. That's Mount Rushmore. Let's stop there. It's not that kind of a place. It's an on-purpose trip. I mean, you if you yeah. want to see Mount Rushmore, you are going to see Mount Rushmore. Yep. Uh, and so the kids did fine on the trip. They watched a couple of movies on the laptop during the drive. And, you know, they'd look up occasionally, right, when, when we'd point something out that was interesting to them. Not a lot is interesting in Wyoming, but... You got You're competing with the iPad, right? I yeah. mean, it's hard to beat the iPad. Now, but I hope as they get older, they don't see the family road trip as undesirable as it would be to maybe clean out a porta potty after a music festival where there was a breakout of the norovirus. <laughs> I, I, I'm hoping that's it's gross. Now that you have that image firmly planted in your head, there is this: with the invention of the autonomous car, the family road trip could be a thing of the past. And all the fun roadside destinations, like the world's largest ball of yarn or the tallest thermometer, could go away forever. All right? Now, here's the issue. With self-driving cars, once the technology is included with, the, with new cars and the highways can accommodate them and, and they're really motoring down, right? Right. All you have to do to go on your road trip, in essence, is really get in, punch, punch in your destination to the GPS, sit back, relax, and binge watch Sneaky Peek or Game of Thrones, whatever, on, on your in the car... And you can read your favorite books. You could do some work while you're driving um, because you're really not driving. It's the car that's driving you from point A to point B. But but doing that, I think, you're, you're losing all sensation of where you are and what you're driving past. You you know, you get that feeling when you're when you're busy. You really would get if you're a passenger, you get that feeling uh, when you're while you're watching something, you're distracted. Right. And you occasionally look up. Right. Right. So. But but maybe you're just too busy now while with the self-driving cars watching the Godfather trilogy for the fifth time to notice that you just passed Foamhenge or, or Jimmy Carter peanut statue or Lenny the Chocolate Moose. I go on, go on. 
Have you ever seen Lenny the Chocolate Moose? I have not seen Lenny no. the Chocolate Moose. I did stop at South of the Border, and none of the rides were open. It was the biggest bummer of my summer that year. See? And road trips like that could be in jeopardy. Because maybe some road trips, like if you rented a convertible in Miami and you cruise down the A1A, like down to the Keys, that I would still love to do, that might be nice. Whether you are uh, driving an autonomous car or you're doing the driving yourself, you could just sit back and relax like you were in a lounger at the pool and watch the ocean as you're driving from island to island, right? Right. Um, it, I don't know. That would be kind of cool. But you're still missing still, to me, you're still missing that quintessential feeling of, of driving by not doing it on your own. You just You just miss that. So I do agree with that. I think... What it may end up doing is making the road trip more intentional, right? So you you, – because here's the big thing. The autonomous car thing is not going to solve the problem that cars are uncomfortable. And being in a car for five hours is not a comfortable experience. So people are still going to need to stop and drive their – and stretch their legs. So what I imagine is that instead of the impulse, oh, look at that. Let's stop there. It's going to be more of a, hey, I'm going to want to stop in about an hour. Let me pull out my phone and see what's going to be in the vicinity in about an hour so I can pull off. Yeah. So some of those maybe impulse things are going to fall by the wayside, but you might see more people stopping to go to higher-end restaurants or unusual restaurants or you know the On unusual att- destination exactly like the, the basketball hall of fame is my example i don't know why but something that the enti- the family can really agree on and get behind and get excited about you, you know what driving can be exhausting I, I, yes. I know. I remember many times after long road trips, I wish I had an autopilot feature in the car to get me all the way home after covering Super Bowl 33 for when I was working at 850 KOA Radio. Um, I, I may, They put me in an RV. They wanted to find more ways to get some reporters down there to Miami. So they put me in an RV, and I, I left from here, and I drove to uh, Atlanta because we were playing the Falcons. I was going to say there was a Broncos-Falcons yes. here. Uh-huh. And I uh, stopped in some of the hometown uh, of the hometowns of the Bronco players along the way and talked to their families and then talked to fans and that sort of thing. Ended in Atlanta at Friday and then made it all the way to Miami by Sunday for the game. Oh, wow. And so I didn't have tickets for the game anyway. Uh, on the way back, I made it from Miami to Denver in three days driving that RV. So it took me about eight or nine days to drive down there, and it took three days to drive back, and I, it was exhausting. Um, and, and so I could see the advantage of taking a trip in an RV that drives itself. Imagine this. You're in an RV. You're with your family. It's driving itself. And then you could have play, you know, Monopoly or some of the board games with your family and your kids in the little uh, living room area. You could make sandwiches and have lunch while the car is doing its, doing its own thing. It's true. I, I mean, mean do, while it's taking you from campground to campground. I mean, the most exhausting part of any road trip is that one day where you're like, eh, I can knock out 12 hours in this sh- in this road trip in this day of the road trip because 12 hours always turns into 15 hours a 12 hour drive is does not include gas does not include restaurants it doesn't include whatever else and you know the thing about uh stopping is you would only have to stop for gas but let's say these vehicles the autonomous vehicles now are equipped with larger gas tanks or they are able to maybe generate some electricity as you're driving so they use a combination of maybe gas and electric and you can get a farther range than you can now, so the wow. need to stop might not be as much with future vehicles, right? So if you so, got 700 miles to the gallon, you would be able to knock out, theoretically, what? Here to Vegas, easy, uh, right? That's what I'm saying, a solid 12 hours of driving in a day. Yeah, but, you know, I, I still think when when the car is doing the driving, you you lose that, that sense of driving. It may, I don't know, maybe it's a part of the accomplishment of actually driving that I, that I like a little bit, surviving a long drive, but... 
part of it is knowing that that you've seen what you've seen. You know what's around you. You've, you've been there. You've watched the scenery change the entire time, and the scenery changes from Miami to Denver a lot yep. over that entire distance. Um, I, I also see the self-driving advantages, too. I mean, in our world of so much great media content, whether, whether it be all the shows on Amazon or Netflix or HBO or all the podcasts like this one or the books or magazines, whatever, the, those autonomous drives would give you the time you need to relax, be entertained, maybe uh, catch up with some work. You know, because business trips, let's say I'm flying from here to Salt Lake or, or here, somewhere about six hours away, maybe here to Phoenix, right? Okay. Yeah. Or, so you could, you could fly. It takes you about six or eight hours, something like that. If if the, if that's what the total travel time is, mm-hmm. getting to the airport, parking, getting into the airport, and doing all these things that that associate with flying, the only real relaxing time you have is the time you're on the plane for maybe an hour and a half or so. But if you're in the autonomous car, you have that time from when you close the door and it takes off. You have that six or eight hours fully dedicated to the work you might need to do. Yeah. So as a business traveler, it might be better and more productive than to do the work in your car. I still can't get over the fact that there's nothing you can do that's going to make sitting in a Toyota 4Runner or any SUV for eight hours palatable. I'm going to have to stop. <laughs> I'm going to have to stop multiple times. And that, and that might be – but then again, if the car is autonomous, the vehicle, the seats maybe don't need to be designed the way they're designed now. They could be designed more like a lounger, more like a lazy boy, maybe with the uh, massage – uh, sensors in there. Now you speak in my language. See, there we it go. could be more of a, a lounger kind of a deal. Okay. So my dad shared this with me. I saw him over the weekend, and what he told me was that we're all wasting our times by researching autonomous cars. Autonomous drones is the future of travel. Really? All right. <laughs> I'd like to see that. Wait and see. All right. That's we'll go in the wait and see mode there. Uh, but I just thought that was that was an interesting idea. There. I agree. I, I took plenty of family road trips in my day. I, I'm a huge fan. How how do you feel when you see a panhandler standing at the highway off-ramp begging for money? Can we be honest here? Oh, yeah. I feel like I need to not make eye contact with that panhandler. Yes. A lot of people feel that way. Now, this story is from Colorado Springs where they just passed an ordinance that will keep people, including panhandlers, beggars, anything like that, off medians there in Colorado Springs. Now, the fine, if these people are cited, would be 500 bucks. The ordinance, originally proposed by Mayor John Southers down there, it applies to panhandlers, vendors, pamphlet distributors, anyone standing in the median of a roadway, and they cite safety as the, as the reason. Because they passed a previous law specifically targeted at panhandlers to keep them off the roadways, but the Springs was forced to repeal it after a legal challenge from the ACLU. So the Springs hopes this new law is going to avoid the challenge from the ACLU and it'll stick. Now, the ordinance specifically worded to keep pedestrians safe. That's how they're getting around this. So when Mayor Southers proposed this new law, he noted that pedestrians on these narrow, peaked medians jeopardize their lives and distract drivers. And so even though it sounds like he's trying to help out pedestrians, he's really also targeting panhandlers there. This ordinance would be designed specifically for medians where accidents, they say, have occurred or are likely. Where are likely? Well, it could be any intersection. But most people know the new law is directed really at the beggars. So here in Denver, there are many places for the homeless to hold signs. You've seen them. They're begging for money. You can't miss them. Usually they're at stoplights or highway ramps, right? So there are a ton of programs here in Denver and places that are here to help the homeless people get off the street. Now, one is called Step 13. It was founded by a guy, his name is Bob Cote, and Bob passed away 
uh, about three years or so ago. And he, he really was a character. He was a really nice guy. He's an interesting guy. I spoke to him a bunch of times in my old radio days. And Bob's story isn't unlike many of the other people that are on the streets today. He became addicted to drugs and alcohol. He eventually lived on the streets. And he used to tell me he was dying on the installment plan, one drink at a time. Um, that's one thing that Bob had uh, more than anything was a lot of sayings that he would repeat them uh, over the, over and over and over, uh, all the same ones over all the time. So one day... When Bob was living on the streets, he used to say, he, something flipped in his brain, and he decided to get sober and stop killing himself slowly on the installment plan, as he used to say. And this is, uh, this is when he founded Step 13. He, he said it's the next step when AA's uh, 12 steps don't work. Okay. It's Step 13. So he opened up a place down on Larimer Street near 22nd. It was way before Coors Field and way before Lodo is Lodo like it is and like you know it now, mm-hmm. where there's bars and restaurants and shops and, and people living down there. It was a dump. It was really Skid Row. Um, but Bob was such a character, and he was always ha- happy to tell stories about the old days on the streets and of the success stories of the men who he helped and who went through his programs. You see, he, he required them to be sober. That was the main thing. And then he would provide them a place to stay, and he would get them a job. They, they couldn't stay if they, were, if they were not working and not sober. That's, that was his rule. So the men would have to pay rent from their, for their space. They would have to earn the money by working there at Step 13, and then they would get uh, moved up and, and moved on. In the beginning, the men usually just had like a cot, maybe a bed, and then like a table. In a lar- there was this large open room, and there were like these curtains that, that would separate it. And then they would earn privileges and better accommodations as they worked their way through the program. But, and Bob would talk so bad about the other homeless programs and the other shelters. He said they were all corrupt. He, he, um, was th- that they were only in- enabling the homeless to, to keep being homeless. He used to just rail on the Denver Rescue Mission. I mean, big time. He would say some really nasty things about it. And uh, let's just say he's not, he wasn't a fan of the Rescue Mission. I get that impression. He... So, because really he rejected the government assistance, he wouldn't take any government money because he wanted to run the program his way, and he knew that if he took to, uh, money from the government, he would be under their thumb, uh, like the other uh, places, the, uh, the other shelters that that help out. So he didn't want to do that. That's why he only took donations from people and didn't want to take any government money. Um, he would give out these little coupon books. So this gets me back to these beggars on the side of the street. So he'd get, he'd have these little blue coupon books and in there are these paper coupons and you would tear one out and it was good for a meal at step 13. So I used to keep one of the booklets. He would hand them out. He would give them to me. And, and, and so I would take one of these booklets and I'd keep them in my car. And then if one of the homeless guys were begging for money, I would hand them some of the coupons. Well, more often than not, they would crumple it up and toss it on the ground. And then I would tell Bob this story, and he, he said he didn't mind at all, that he said the worst thing that drivers can do for beggars when they see him there standing at the intersection is to give them money. He says all you're doing is enabling them to keep killing themselves one day at a time, to keep drinking, keep doing drugs. It, it's like the wildlife. If you feed the wildlife, the wildlife are going to come around. If you don't feed the wildlife, they'll go you know, have to find their own food. Correct. Same thing with the homeless. That was his theory. If you don't give them money... They won't be there, and they're actually going to go somewhere else and maybe get help. So I know there are better ways to handle the homeless situation here in Denver, but then what the city is doing, uh, I they haven't asked me for my advice yet, so I haven't offered it. Um, so, But, but that's, that, that's really an interesting idea from the Springs to try, to try to combat at least that part of the problem. It is, and I think the big question for me is 
what is finding them going to do? They don't have money. You no, know? and that was part of the ACLU. Uh, and, right. and a lot of folks at the uh, council hearing were saying they, they can't pay the fine. Right. And so maybe they'll just work it off in jail because I tried to do that when I was in college one time. I got a ticket and I said, I, I didn't want to pay it. I just want to work my day off in jail. And right. the judge says, no, you're going to pay it. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> That's a better strategy to take, I think. I mean, it, it's a topic that could be debated for hours. Yes. And there are other ways to help the homeless. And really, most of the homeless problem are people that are addicted, have addiction issues, alcohol or drugs. There are some mental uh, illness issues, obviously, and those people need special help. But most of it is alcohol or drug abuse. And, and, you know, there are ways to help those people. You just also need sometimes to want to help yourself. It's kind of the way it comes down to. Anyway, uh, this might be a good time for a break. On the other side, we'll talk about the idea one man has to fix the gridlock in L.A. for good. That and much, much more as the Driving You Crazy podcast continues. I'm Jason Grenauer, and you're listening to the Driving You Crazy podcast with Jason Luber. Weekend mornings are personally my favorite time. Eric Lufer and I have the most fun that we possibly can, but also we get to bring you the news of the day, the weather, sports, and there's a pet segment, so we have a good time. It's a nice way to wake up and just kind of get your news of the day for the weekend. Katie LaSalle, only on Denver 7. We're informative. We're first on the scene with a lot of breaking news in the morning. Uh, we're very accurate with our information that we get and pass on to the viewers. Uh, we have a lot of drunk drivers out there that we're dealing with. Um, I've seen people come northbound on Broadway, as we're, and it's a one-way. Uh, it's a lot of danger out there in the middle of the night. The toughest part of the job out there is trying to get accurate information and trying to build a rapport with a lot of law enforcement agencies so we get the accurate information. Daryl Orr, only on Denver 7. Welcome back to the Driving You Crazy podcast, where we're offering a two-for-one special, Joseph. Listen to this free podcast, and the next one is also free. If that pillow guy can offer two-for-one, why can't I? As a wise man once told me, this podcast is worth exactly what you're paying for it. Wait a minute. This is worth a lot more than what you pay for it, I think. You're getting your money's worth. I'll Mad Max. Though, the, here it is. Mad Max. So stop yelling at your phone at the podcast. It's Mad Max. We really need a designated fact checker in here. I guess that was supposed <laughs> to be my job. But yes, that was supposed to be your job. And I'm going to put that as hashtag fail. Okay. Not winning. We'll get him next week. All right, Charlie Sheen. Um <laughs> Remember that whole episode when he was doing oh, the winning thing when he went through that meltdown? Tiger blood, baby. Wasn't that great? Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wasn't that great? <laughs> so Elon Musk, he apparently, you know, he's the guy that does the Tesla, right? And he's, you know, trying to do the SpaceX, right. right? That guy, he apparently is turning his focus from the heavens to the earth as he sent out a tweet proposing that he wants to dig a tunnel that would reduce LA traffic. He tweeted out this message Traffic is driving me nuts. I'm going to build a tunnel boring machine and just start digging. He dubbed the project The Boring Company and added, I'm actually going to do this. He then backed up his tunnel pledge, tweeting, 
exciting progress on the tunnel front. Plan to start digging in a month or so. Considering Elon Musk's ability to turn science fiction into reality, it's tough to know whether it's a really serious proposal. It's probably just a quip from a frustrated tech world luminary. Uh, Elon, he reiterated his goal of traffic mitigation of the tech publication The Verge. He, He told them, without tunnels, we'll all be in traffic hell forever. So I hope his Tesla has a really good air conditioner because... His drive in L.A. is going to be very, very hot. Amen. Colorado is listening to Elon Musk, though, obviously, with the I-70 project with that in tunnel? the Swansea neighborhood. Yeah. And you know what? There's some interesting things that were happening on that I-70 thing. And there was actually a, store, uh, a report about uh, that being one of the most blighted areas. And, and what one um, suggestion was to reroute I-70 up to 270 and make it go around, even though that would be an expensive. Extremely, an expensive nightmare. Right? Yeah, it really would because there's there have to be so many improvements to do that. But then and then just turn I seventy and do just a regular road. Um, just turn it back into Forty Sixth Avenue and um, take the bridge down and give the neighborhoods back their the neighborhoods. That is an intriguing proposal. That yeah. is also one that will not get off the ground. No, no. CDOT is saying this is what we're doing and this is the way we're going to do it. And if you don't like it, get out. CDOT, the boring company. <laughs> So here's an interesting headline. States that have legalized marijuana, medical marijuana, have fewer traffic fatalities, especially among younger drivers. Research at Columbia's University uh, discovered that there was an 11% drop in traffic deaths on average in states that have enacted medical marijuana laws. Obviously, Colorado has legal, medical, and recreational pot, right? Um, I'm pretty sure this study was done before the recreational law was enacted here, we could see how that st- factors into the statistics. But we also just saw a study this week about how Colorado fatalities are near records. It was just one less than the record high already. I mean, over 600 fatalities last year. That's a high number no matter how you look at it. A lot of them were uh, motorcycles. About 175 motorcyclists died. Uh, about two-thirds of them were not wearing helmet. We don't have a helmet law here in Colorado. Um, they say a lot of the passengers, I think over half of the passengers that were killed in crashes, they were not wearing their seatbelts. So the study was wear your seatbelt, wear your helmet, and you might be able to save your life. I, I don't think that there's – and they did say that distracted driving, some of, the, some of the reasons were distracted driving and then alcohol or drugs. So I, I'm not sure about this study because they say that people are turning from booze to weed – and weed is, is they say, is more relaxing. And uh, but still, you're going to be if you're if you're falling asleep at the wheel and you get into a crash and, and kill yourself. I mean, you're still uh, under the influence of something, right? Right. I mean, I think this is one of those where, and, and I don't have anything to back this up, but my hunch is that traffic fatality numbers can vary really wildly from year to year. And what you want to look at is actually the raw crash data, right? Because yeah, traffic, that's what I was looking at. Because I'm, more people can more people die. You know, you know, there can just be extenuating circumstances one year where some crashes happen to be at an angle that was more conducive to fatalities than other crashes in the other years. And and what I did notice in the raw data, what was there are fewer drivers dying from alcohol. The younger kids, the younger people are dying less from the alcohol than older drivers. Okay. So that goes back to the point you made a while back. That your generation, the millennials, are really not drinking less. They're just drinking and driving less. Correct. And when we've been over this, but to make the point again, we've been taught very well in school about the dangers of drinking and driving. And, I, I, you know, a lot of my friends, they say that, that 
anything I, they'll do a lot of things but getting behind the wheel drunk is not one of them yeah so i think that age group under 40 is really the group that's that's at least heeding that message however uh there's still the distractions are going to be the number one issue here with more people looking at their phone or just being distracted from whatever else in the car yep um and then causing these these fatalities so anyway uh does it bug you 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 walk to work but does it bug you when you see a person maybe riding their bike through a stop sign it bugs me when I see a person ride their bike through a stop sign, when I see them ride their bike through a red light, when I see them ride their bike on a sidewalk when there's a perfectly good bike lane and or bike lane under a bridge right next to them. There's a long list of things that bug me about bikers. I'll put it that way, Jason. Well, there's an avid cyclist over at the uh, in the state house. It's a Democrat Senator, Andy Kerr. He's from Jefferson County here near Denver, and he's sponsoring Senate Bill 93 that would permit a person riding a bike or an electrical-assisted bicycle to pass through a roadway intersection without stopping at a stop sign if the person slows to a reasonable speed, quote-unquote, yields to vehicles and pedestrians and can safely proceed or make a turn. So basically, if there's no one around, if you notice that nobody's around the intersection, just kind of blow through the stop sign. Now, he says a year after a similar law in Idaho was enacted, that bike crashes, bicycle accidents, went down by 14%. And he says, quote, if a cyclist can clear the intersection before traffic accumulates and before other cars come up to the side, it decreases the chance of a crash, unquote. Well, that seems pretty obvious. But then again, we have these bike lanes, dedicated bike lanes and bike paths that they should be in anyway, right? Uh, I mean, let's be realistic here. Now, he did put some different rules for a stop light. That was for a stop sign. So for a stop light, the bill reads, a person riding a bike or electrical assisted bike may also proceed through an intersection with a illuminated red traffic control signal if the person stops, yields to traffic and pedestrians, and can safely proceed in the same direction or make a right-hand turn. So basically, he's saying if you come up to a stop light, you have to stop, but if you have a stop sign, you can just blow right through it. Now, a person riding a bike uh, or or, uh, an electrical-assisted bicycle, as he says, may not make a left-hand turn at an intersection, with an illuminated traffic control signal unless first stopping, yielding to traffic and pedestrians and turning onto a one-way street. So these are the same rules that apply to cars. Basically, yes. Yeah. So I think he's he's just more clearly defining it here. Okay. And the bill has been assigned to the state transportation or the Senate Transportation and Motor Vehicles Committee for consideration. Uh, we'll see where that one goes. Does this law need to be on the books? Have no, you, I mean, it's just one of those things where if you if you're on a bicycle and most of the people are blowing through the stop sign, then I guess the police just don't enforce it. Right. I mean, for, I have two I have two schools of thought on this, both of which bikers are not going to like. The first is, why do we keep giving things to bicyclists? Maybe the bicyclists should wait for the cars to go through. The cars are bigger. The second one, <laughs> if we're being realistic here, but the other one is, when is a bicyclist ever actually going to get written a ticket for following the same rules of the road that a car follows at a stoplight? I've seen it. Uh, or at least I've heard of it one time. I think it was almost right outside our building here. I, that's about the only place I could see it happen. Yeah, because I've seen it where Denver police physically are out looking for the bicyclists that are blowing through the stoplights. 
And then we'll flag them down because they have another guy up ahead, and then they'll stop them and give them a ticket. Right. See, I don't think any officer is abusing their power and making too many arrests of bicyclists who are blowing through these red lights. So in my mind, let the officers have the authority to give somebody a ticket if they blow through a red light irresponsibly. But then again, we already have these bike lanes that are built on major roads instead of dedicated bike paths that don't have stop signs and stop lights and intermingling with vehicles. That should only happen occasionally if the bicyclist is up where it, like at the final destination. Right. Otherwise, put him on a bike path. I completely agree. And I think when you say that, when they get to their final destination, I think the big problem for bicyclist commuters is always going to be that last mile and first mile where they're getting to the bike path or coming away from the bike path, where they're on the side roads or the roads where there's not the clearly designated bike areas for them. Yeah. Uh, Anyway. Anyway, get off the road, biker. <laughs> um, I got a pet peeve of myself to All tell right. you about. Aspen is trying to add light rail. It would only span about six miles on Highway 82. It would run into downtown Aspen. And the debate surrounding the light rail, in my mind, perfectly encapsulates everything I've ever had stereotypically in my mind about the city of Aspen. Here's the deal. The city could either add more buses, which would be cheap, or they could build a state-of-the-art light rail, which would be cool, quote-unquote, very expensive, and maybe take care of the problem. If this was Tulsa, we would just pick the buses. There would not even be a debate going on. But since it's Aspen, and there's a lot of money in Aspen, they're going to take a close look at the shiniest toys possible before they make a final decision on what to go with. Now, experts say that the light rail should ease congestion, but the emphasis is on should. The light rail would cut the number of bus rides along that stretch of 82 in half, if not more, which means you'd see fewer buses on the roads. But here's the big question that always comes up when me and you talk about commuter rail. Who's going to use it? I guarantee you that there are not enough people interested in light rail to actually turn a profit. This just seems like a bougie way for Aspen to, once again, make itself look cutting edge at gross and unnecessary expense. Well, here's the thing about making a profit. None of these light rails or or public transportations make a profit. Actually, they suck money, one, out of the taxpayer, and the fares that you pay don't come anywhere close to subsidizing the entire uh, cost of the operation and the operational costs of the light rail system. That's correct. You're paying for, you're subsidizing that with your taxes. Yeah, so your tax money, your sales tax, whatever the case may be. So there's a huge pool of money, not just the people. It's just like your newspaper. When we used to get newspapers, the subscription price that you used to pay doesn't pay for the newspapers. It were the ads that were in the classified sections. And then when you had Craigslist, Craigslist came along, blew up the classified from the newspapers, and then they all went out of business. So that's what happened there. <laughs> um, what I think would be a better alternative is the gondola. Yes. Right, right, the gondola. It's Aspen after all, right? Make it a high-speed quad where people can just ride in comfort above all the traffic. The cost would be much, much less because all you're doing is putting up these poles and cables, right? I mean, it's Aspen. It's it, Full-blown right, light rail would be super expensive. You need land. You need the trains. You need the stations, all that stuff. And, and, but, yeah. and you could tie it into the mountain. You could tie the gondola into the mountain. You could have it going around town. You know, tell your ride. They have from uh, Mountain Village down to Telluride, they have a gondola system that takes people back and forth, and it's just as easy as can be. Um, it might not be as fast as the light rail, might not be as fast as, a, as a, let's say, a bus or you're driving yourself, but for the people, and I'm sure it would be less expensive than, than what a ticket on the light rail would cost. Well, we're talking about six miles. I mean, how fast do you need to go six miles? Yeah. So I, I'm thinking right there. It would get people out of traffic. It would get them above the thing. You could you could put it down uh, so, because you have those poles. Just those poles leave a very small footprint. 
Um, otherwise, you're above everything. And there you go. Problem solved. You're absolutely right. And I wish I had thought of this. I give you a lot of credit for this, Aspen. I hope you're listening. The thing is, these these light rail stations are hideous. They're big concrete boxes yes. and some rails and a few benches that are always look. No matter how new they are, bus benches always look beat up. I was riding on the A-Line yesterday, and they have this weird sort of um, stained glass thing going on at all the bus stop at all the stops on the way back from the light rail. Why? Why do you want that in Aspen? Just throw up a gondola. Everybody can wave to it as it goes yes, by. Exactly. And yeah. people like to look up at it. People like to look down from it. All right. So I have two other questions for you. One, you're, you said your feeling of Aspen. So what's your real feeling of Aspen? <laughs> My real feeling of Aspen <laughs> is that I wish I could move there. Let's have you be been honest. there? I love Aspen. Have you you've been there? I have been there. Yeah. We, we, uh, the wife and I took a little Sunday drive through there when we got stuck on one of these long road trips. And gosh, it's a beautiful it little area. It really is pretty. It's really nice. And you know, uh, and, I, and another thing about the gondola, you could start in one place. Take the gondola, it takes you right into town. Let's say you don't want to get off there. It takes you right to the mountain, and then off you go skiing. Beautiful. So, I mean, you don't even, it's to be a one-stop shop right there. All right, so question number two, you rode the A-line. Details, my friend. I mean, nothing changes on the A-line, right? I didn't get jammed up. So that's the first and most important thing to say. I can say anecdotally that I still have not had any serious issues riding the A-line, except for the one time when the train never showed up. That was a serious issue. Um, but, you know, I mean, the train is nice enough. It's relaxing. It's it's simple. If you're just going to Union Station and walking to your apartment like I was, why wouldn't you take the A-line? It's definitely cheaper than a lift. Um, it was not too crowded coming back from the airport, especially on a Wednesday afternoon. There have been times where I've taken that train where you're riding out on like a Saturday morning or something like that where it's wall to wall. And if you're picking it up at uh, the 40th and Colorado station instead of at Union Station, you're going to be standing and help you if you have a suitcase or two suitcases with you. And you know what's going to compound that problem even more is now that on February 24th, the R line through Aurora will start. And that connects the Parker Road station, the Nine Mile station, all the way up to the A-Line. Okay. So the folks that are, let's say, down in the Denver Tech Center, down in Lone Tree, they can ride then a dedicated train that goes up instead of going to downtown to Union, to Union Station and then transferring trains there. They can just ride up through Aurora, transfer tr- trains over by Fitzsimmons, and then ride the train the rest of the ride out to DIA. That's very interesting. I think the thing with the A-Line, I mean... You may have had a different experience. I have never seen somebody get on the A-line and get off at anywhere but the airport. It really is just a ferry to and from the airport for this city, and I think that really is necessary right now. All right. Well, And I did notice the crossers out yesterday, and it's remarkable how many crossers they have to be paying and keeping on the payroll right now. On the one hand, bringing jobs to Colorado. (laughs) (laughs) Unexpected jobs, but sure, the jobs nonetheless. Fantastic. Hopefully that'll help you long term. Well, that there, Joseph, is another great podcast in my eyes, I think. Uh, thanks again to all the people who have subscribed to the show, uh, whether you listen on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher SoundCloud. Drop us a review on iTunes. I would love to see us zoom up the charts, man. Yes, we do need that. You need to, yeah, do that on the iTunes. And uh, and then... You can leave more than one review. I left five yesterday. All five stars. You did? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> but you hey, can. Well, I, you can. I'm not above doing that. I, I will do that. Stuff the box, man. Hey, I don't mind sending my uh, my news director emails about myself <laughs> to make myself look better than I really am. No, I haven't subscribed to that yet, but I, I know people who have. Yeah, well. 
All right. Well, anyway, you can reach us on the, on Facebook and on Twitter and email drivingyoucrazypodcast at gmail.com. So thanks again for all the support, all the love. Give us some comments. Uh, and we'll see you again next time. Until then, I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. I'm Joseph Peters, the overnight producer. Stay safe. And as always, happy motoring. You've been listening to the Driving You Crazy podcast with Jason Luber.